Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. My guest this week is Sandy Hadi. Sandy is a certified professional English language arts and social studies educator and taught at the high school level for 22 years. After seeing increases in high school class sizes, Sandy decided to launch her own business, Your Coach for College, to help prepare and teach kids the skills they would need to succeed in college that they weren't receiving in high school. In our conversation, we discussed some critical skills such as note-taking, listening, and forming good study habits that Sandy identifies as being missed within the current education system. Sandy points out why you should help develop these skills with your kids early in the middle school years. Sandy emphasizes when it comes to high school, it's not the grades that matter the most, it's the learning. When ill-equipped high school students enter college where there is increased competition, kids struggle with adversity that they have never faced before. While grades are important to colleges, showing consistent improvement within your high school academic career can also put your student in a favorable spotlight. Sandy also provides some essential advice for parents on helping their kids strike a balance during the current homeschooling, virtual learning, new normal. We need to remind ourselves that although our kids are very resilient, they can have the same forms of stress as parents have experienced dealing with COVID-19. Please enjoy this conversation with Sandy Hadi. All right, today I want to welcome Sandy Hadi to the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. Sandy is a solo business owner and works with kids and tutoring and also does editing as well. So I'm really excited about having on today's show, Sandy, given all the angst, turmoil, anxiety surrounding homeschooling and where we go from here. So thank you for being on and looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start by having you just explain to the audience what you do with your business, especially on the college prep and going through your website, you're even working with kids that are in college to help them transition. So if you could just give us a breakdown of the kids that you work with and what you actually do with them. Certainly. I started this business back in 2012 when I saw the writing on the wall, class sizes moving higher and higher. When I retired in 17, they were up to 35, 37, which makes it very hard to teach, especially writing. And my business focuses mostly on college prep and college kids. There are plenty of tutors out there for remediation, but my specific niche is college prep. So I tutor helping kids learn skills and strategies for the SAT and ACT. I teach them the most critical thing in the world, which is good college writing strategies. Kids these days, at least for the last few years, we've been told, well, just assign this essay at this time. 
and they don't give us time to actually teach them how to do it, like in the younger grades, in ninth and 10th grade. So kids are just writing, but have never been taught how to do it. So they're stressed out and they're not doing as well as they could. They are just taught how to do it properly. It's easier and then it produces a better quality work. Also, something that's been lacking a lot is academic skills. They don't know how to take notes. They don't know how to listen. They're never taught this, how to work in groups. They don't know how to manage their time. They don't know how to get organized. And all of these things are crucial if you're going to get anywhere in college. If you have weak writing skills, you're in trouble. If you have poor academic skills, you're in trouble. So parents will seek me out to give them that last little boost. And then lately, I've had some parents who are calling just to help me with their kids who are now studying virtually and to sort of help them keep organized and make sure that they're on target and things like that. So your background, you were a teacher in the public school system for how long? 22 years. And did you teach mostly at the high school level or were you in elementary and middle school as well? The whole time I was at Wild Lake Western, but I taught all four grades and I taught average level as well, but mostly it was honors nine and 10, which is where they get the basic skills and knowledge to help them when they get to 11 and 12. So that was that. But again, back in the day when we were allowed to do our own thing, I had an academic skills unit in my classroom and I spent four weeks teaching these kids how to write with modeling and great feedback and stuff like that. But we don't have that luxury anymore. And just for our viewers, Wild Lake Western, we're located in a suburb of Metro Detroit. So I just want to let everybody know that. And it's a fairly big high school. There's three high schools that are part of the Wild Lake Consolidated School District here in Northwest Oakland County and Metro Detroit. So it's funny that you mentioned academic skills because I was just thinking about this going back to my freshman year at GMI, which is now Kettering, where I went my first year and how ill-equipped I was as far as study habits and note-taking, two things you just hit hard on. Where are kids supposed to learn how to do that? And like, what grade should they be working on developing those skills? Obviously, you want to have that in high school, but do you start looking at middle school age, seventh, eighth graders as well? That's what I would like to see. And I'd like to see them actually taught how to do it. And the reason that I started doing an academic skills unit in my ninth grade honors class was because kids were coming from middle school without these skills. And if I'm an honors teacher and I am holding them to high expectations, I don't think it's right to require them to have these skills if I don't teach them how to do them. I would like to see, and to be honest, I don't know, we jokingly call middle school the hormone holding tank. (laughs) (laughs) because we just really don't, they come in and the grades are way inflated. I don't know. So if you're a middle school teacher, please forgive me, but they really don't have these skills. These kids are coming into honors classes and they can't write a decent paragraph half the time. So you kind of have to start at the beginning, ideally. And if I'm tutoring for or coaching for academic skills, I think between eighth grade and ninth grade in the summer would be the best time because then you don't have to learn them while you are. Same thing with college writing, with high level writing. If they can learn it in either in middle school or if not be coached or tutored in the summer, then they can hit ninth grade high school running. It is, especially the honors classes are a huge culture shock for kids coming from middle school because they're just not prepared. And these days it's way watered down. It's way watered down than it was when I first started 
years ago, which is bad because then they're going to college and they still don't have as sharp skills as they did 10, 15 years ago. So the sooner the better. And I think they should actually be taught. And I want to come back to that in a second, but how does a student even get into an honors class? How does that process work? Well, they are recommended for honors nine by their middle school teachers. So they're placing kids usually pretty well, except that the kids that have really good work ethic, good grades, wants it, knows that this is going to help them for college. A lot of kids don't want to do that extra work, but they select the kids that are going to go into honors. And then the first semester of ninth grade is sort of a balancing act. I mean, I've had kids come to me second semester, which is rough because we've already covered academic skills and writing first semester and they have to catch up, but they were placed in an honors, a gen ed class, and they really need to be in honors. And the ninth grade teacher will see that and call the counselor and we'll switch them. Same thing too, if we've got a kid in honors that we see is way over their head, they're not doing the reading, they're not doing the work, I rarely did, but we might recommend putting them in gen ed. But my thing has always been better to get a C in honors than an A in gen ed because the learning is, and this is what people don't understand, it's not the grades, it's the learning. If the learning happens, the grade will come. But there's so much emphasis on the grades right now because of getting into school. So I get what you just said, and that totally resonated with me, but it goes against the grain of what probably most parents want to see. And like, if a kid came home with a C plus, especially in honors, I'm sure parents are freaking out. Like, you just blew your GPA. Like, how are you going to get a scholarship? How are you going to get into this school or that school? Well, I'll tell you, teaching ninth grade honors, especially back when I could really teach it well, the first essay was terrible. Everybody failed it because, not everybody, but a big, huge group of them failed it because doing their homework the night before worked in middle school and they don't believe me. So then what I would do is I would meet with them one-on-one. This was back when I had 25 in a class and I had time to do that and help them out. Some kids need to see it with their own writing. Samples don't work. And then they would rewrite it and then they would, the old grade would go away and the new grade would come in. But parents do freak out and I've had to talk them down many times. One grade, now in high school, in college, one grade can tank your grade. In high school, one bad grade isn't going to tank your GPA. And again, if the learning happens, those grades will come up. College is like to see grades coming up. If, if you have a C in an honors class the first semester of ninth grade and you bring it up to a B second semester and then you're pulling A's or whatever in 10th grade because you're learning and applying that learning, that's great. But if parents scream about, and this is what's been happening because the grades are way inflated now. Kids are getting B's on essays that would probably get a D in college. So the problem there is the parents see the grades, oh, yay, they're getting B's, but then they go to college where there's real competition and there's real standards and the the kids start failing their essays or whatever, and they're not doing as well on their tests because the tests are harder, and then then all hell breaks loose. Have you seen parents of college-age kids, especially like that freshman and sophomore year, turn to you for help with that? No, I haven't. Most of the kids that I work with that go to college are fine. Usually the things that they might need help with is if they have like a huge essay and they want me to edit, which I will do, but I won't rewrite it for them. For example, I'll say you've got some brevity issues or you've got some agreement issues on this page or whatever, because I totally don't believe in spoon feeding kids because then they don't learn. 
there was an app that a lot of teachers used. It was called Remind 101. And they would send out these texts to remind their kids to bring their homework the next day. And it's like, I refuse to do that. Your boss isn't going to do that. Your professor isn't going to do that. You have to learn to be organized and use a planner. So again, when you're in honors classes, especially, and those are the kids that are planning on going to a four-year college. The gen ed kids are usually planning on going to a two-year college where they might learn things like the writing skills and academic skills that they need. But parents really do worry me. It's great to stay in contact with the teacher and get feedback, but don't panic. Let the kid learn so that by the time he is a senior getting ready to go to college, he has the learning and the grades. What is your advice to parents on how they can help their kids develop some of these academic skills like good study habits, note-taking, planning, Obviously, the technical writing is probably beyond what a parent would maybe want to get into, but those three things I just mentioned sound more like habits and how to develop good habits. Obviously, you could hire a coach to do that, or just as easily, you could go on Amazon and find a book on study skills and go through it. For example, when I went to college, when I went to U of M, I'd been out of high school for 15 years, so I didn't remember how to study. I bought some books and I taught myself how to do critical reading and annotation and all these things that you need to learn to do. Might be a little late now, but again, that would be a great summer project. And I'm going to write a book myself one of these days when I get to it on that, which will hopefully streamline it. But the big thing with parents is it's a balancing act because you want your students to learn to do it on their own and you want the students to learn to advocate for themselves. But especially at the beginning, they need guidance, especially with virtual learning. Don't let them sleep until 1030. You need routine. You need routine is huge. Get organized and stay organized. Parents will be like, okay, let's see what you have, especially for younger kids. What have you got going on today? What do you need to do? What do you need to do to do it and do it well? That kind of thing. So basically, accessing the skills either through coaching or through books or there I'm sure there's online tutorials possibly I don't know any of my own but for sure and then consistently helping the student form that habit a lot of positive reinforcement you don't want world war 3 going on which I know sometimes can especially with older teenagers I have that now with my fourth grade triplets <laughs> oh my lord I don't know how you do it <laughs> so take me through where we're at today as far as parents and anxiety surrounding homeschooling and the challenges that it becomes. Because I completely agree with you. When I look at our family structure, we've always done well when we had structure, whether it was in school or we were going to preschool when the triplets were smaller and then plus one Mackenzie as well. To me, what's really changed is this mindset shift I see in my own kids between when they're at school, they have a different mindset. They know the rules of the school. They know that there's boundaries and limits. But when they get home, they don't see home as as a school setting. They just see home as a time to play or play games or play with their friends. And there is no structure. And I think that's what we've really struggled with as parents through this whole COVID situation. Yeah, and especially for parents of multiple kids. We don't have four computers, things like that. Again, you hit it right on the head. Structure is the most important thing. So like my daughter-in-law lives in Philly, and I have a five-year-old granddaughter who she's going to homeschool for kindergarten. And 
<laughs> they have a baby who is now not getting her own room because that room is now the classroom. I know people don't all have the ability to do this, but try to set up a place that is every day the same place and the same time. And I would even suggest, you know how uh, at the beginning of the year, teachers give the rules to the kids and they take them home to have the parents sign them. I would even write something like that up for the fourth graders that would obviously be age appropriate and go over that on the first or second or third day of school and post them and say, these are our rules for when you're in school. I mean, literally, even if they have to use the bathroom, raise your hand, just that as much normalcy as you can get to the real classroom experience will help. And I know it's easier said than done. That's the hardest thing, just like it was in the spring, March through June was in a lot of the families that I work with as part of my firm at Tama, I have dual working families and trying to be the teacher while at the same time working has been incredibly hard and put so much pressure on everybody. I think one of the things that you just mentioned was this consistent positive feedback. And on a prior episode, I had Dr. Laura Hutchinson, who's a child psychologist on, and I kind of got into a little bit of, of my angst with how I have a shorter fuse during this time. My anger kind of gets the best of me and I find myself yelling at my kids when I know I shouldn't because it puts that much more strain and pressure on all of us. But it's really hard because it's every day it seems like we reach a new tipping point with this situation. And a lot of parents, we're just throwing our hands up in the air. I'm like, we don't know what to do. And the support that we're getting from some of the, the school districts, while I'm sure that they're trying their best, we don't necessarily feel the support from them. I can feel the frustration. I don't personally have it. My sons are grown, but having been a teacher, I know that I talked to a lot of teachers in the spring where they were given one direction, directions to do one thing one day. And then two weeks later, none of that stuff is counting. And then, so the teachers are pulling their hair out too. They really, really want to do well, but they don't necessarily have the tools either. So I know that everything wants to boil up. But whatever you can do to simmer it back down, like I know I tutored a boy yesterday who, while they started, I think two days ago, and they're doing three days, three classes a day, alternating for two hours a piece. So they run from 8.05 to, I think, 2, and they are in class for two hours. And it's weird for a teacher to be able to say, okay, you guys, I just showed you how to do pre-writing. So now I want you to spend 15 minutes and pre-write at home. Well, you can't necessarily make them do it. Then he also said there's some teachers that are trying to fill all the time. Well, you can't fill two hours with constant talking. If you did, you'd die. And so would your student of boredom. So there's a big balance that needs to happen everywhere. And we're still teetering and tottering. Everybody is still, the parents, the schools, the teachers. I think it hopefully, if you want to look at the bright side, which I think we always need to have to do, hopefully it's better now than it was in the spring. At least they had a couple of weeks to get things under control. Because I know I had teachers in the spring saying, I know for a fact that they log into a class and they don't have to turn their cameras on. So then they just go back to bed. And this is high schoolers we're talking about. So trying to hold kids accountable is hard enough when you're in class face-to-face. -face. You're trying to teach and you can tell in a face-to-face -face situation, okay, I'm losing this kid, he's drifting off. These two are talking so I can ask them to stop and focus. I was a big one, focus, you guys, focus. Bring it back to me, you guys, focus. But you can't really do that on a Zoom call. So it's just challenging all the way. And I think the worst part 
I think one of the biggest challenges, both for high school kids and for kids going to college, is the uncertainty. The uncertainty of how am I supposed to do this? How is this going to work? Am I getting the best education? Again, the kids who are self-starters and the kids who are go-getters, and everybody knows in your families, a lot of families have one of each or two of each. That creates a whole nother set of issues because yeah. you're absolutely right. Like I look at my four and I know who needs less help than others and it's pretty challenging. It's incredibly challenging. I had twins one time and one was acing everything and doing everything right and the other one was just as nice a kid, but it wasn't his priority. He had other things he was interested in. So I can't even imagine the challenges that parents, especially working parents with multiple kids are facing. It's funny, I saw a, I can't remember if it was actually a real thing or if it was online somewhere, but it was this big black SUV and there was writing on the back window that said, you lied to me. My student is not a joy to have in class. So I can tell parents are stressed out. So from your standpoint, what are things that students can do now to better prepare for the virtual learning that they're currently doing today and may end up having to do for the whole school year? We're all concerned that we're not going to go back. As much as we want to not try to think too far ahead, we're just trying to figure out the here and now. That's still in the back of our head because I talked to some families. I think we all have, for lack of a better term, we've called it PTSD from last March through June. And I think we are all looking forward to getting back to whatever normal was, but that normal was going to involve going back to school. Now it's not. And now we're back and figuring out, okay, how can we help our kids virtually? Because we're all concerned about our kids getting further behind. The triplets are in fourth grade, our plus one McKenzie's in third grade. I don't have high school seniors, but I'm sure that's a concern. And we'll get into that in a minute on how to prepare them and what their next best course of action may be. Well, first, let me tell you that I am, as much as we hate it, I am still glad that we're doing virtual because a lot of parents who are upset about it haven't been in a school in a while. And you would be sending your kids to a Petri dish. It would be bad. Your kids might be great and do social distancing and leave the masks on and don't touch anybody, but not all kids are going to be like that. So first, accept the fact that horrible as it is, this is still our best option at the moment. And I would really suggest the two most important things are structure and organization. And again, with structure, if you can set up a specific place, have a specific time so that then their mindset is in school when they are in that place and in that time. And if they're organized, they're not wasting time trying to find things in a huge pile of crap on the desk with three kids worth of work or whatever all in one place. I would suggest keeping an eye. I know Wald Lake, I used to post my grades every Monday. Every Monday after school, I would post my grades. So any parents who wanted to see where their kids were. So if you have that ability, and not all teachers post in a timely manner, but if you have that ability, check the grades to see where they're faltering. Like, is their grade low because they are not studying for vocab quizzes or not doing homework or doing poorly on tests or not turning in assignments? And then you can sort of pinpoint where you might need to step in or where you might need to contact the teacher for suggestions, stuff like that. So those would be the things that, I mean, considering school is already in and you don't have time to like teach them these academic skills because the only other thing is realize that the kids also have PTSD. So many people forget 
what it's like. Just re- look back and remember what it was like when you were a teenager. You probably can't remember all the way back to fourth grade, but when you were a teenager and had you had this extra stress put on you and then your parents are stressing you out because they're stressed out. So seriously, I don't know if younger kids would do it or families would do it, but I would seriously advise learn to meditate. <laughs> Make sure you're taking care of yourselves beyond the academics. Make sure that you're having dinner together when you can. You're doing yoga. You're getting out for the walk. You're eating well because that makes a difference. And when I teach college level academic skills, I hit that hard. And even high school, it's like, take time between drafts on your paper to play a video game. You've got to decompress. It's really important. It's interesting that you brought that up too, Sandy, because Dr. Laura Hutchinson also brought that up about self-care and how critical that is for not only yourself, but if you're in a relationship, your spouse, partner, making sure that you check in with them. Because with Teresa and me both working from home, it's a weird situation because we're like passing each other like we're coworkers passing in a hallway and just say, hi, how are you? And But at the end of the day, I'm like, wait a minute, that's still my wife. That's still my partner. That's not necessarily the relationship I want to have. And it's hard to just flip switches and go from being co-workspace users or whatever to, oh, okay, now we're back to husband and wife. You've been in all these boxes and now it's just one big box. So it's weird, but you could even like, let's say, okay, at this particular time, we're going to have water cooler time and everybody's going to meet in the kitchen and get a glass of water and just real quick share how everything's going so you can connect that way. Now everybody go back and do your thing. Whatever creative ways that you can come up with for your particular situation, because all the situations, look at the parents that can't work from home. They're schooling their kids in the evenings. All the situations are so different. There's no one size fits all manner. You could, you know, again, just keep your creative juices flowing and try stuff. Yeah. I've been thinking about, okay, how would I handle this as a teenager or whatever growing up? I don't know. I mean, I was a self-starter. Everybody knows who is and who isn't, but I know like my parents, they both worked the manufacturing facility. So they would have had to go back into the plant, if you will, to work. They didn't have a work from home job. And I have families that are part of TAMA that they're in that situation. Fortunately, but unfortunately, in situations I've seen where one parent has to go back to an office or a hospital or a manufacturing facility and the other parent can stay at home, but that parent is still working. That puts even more pressure on that parent and puts even more pressure on the marriage, on the relationship. And it's going to be interesting. I mean, you're already seeing it in some stats as far as levels of depression and anxiety and domestic abuse. The numbers are getting pretty scary. Obviously, people dying from COVID is awful. It's tragic, number of cases. But there's compounding issues outside of just the medical piece of this pandemic that are really hurting. Yeah. My daughter-in-law, she is an elementary school teacher, so she's going to teach Scarlett at home, but she has a six-month-old baby who is going to be interrupting. So I know that a lot of people, when I say have structure and routine, that it may fall apart as fast as you put it out, but then try to pick up and get back to it. Because again, there's so much going on with COVID. And as you say, not just from having the disease, but from being on lockdown for so long. It is hard for teenagers. It's hard for little kids. It's hard for everybody. I wish there was an answer, except do what we can do to put this thing to bed finally. 
one last question on elementary, younger kid education. I'd love to get your thoughts on this whole concept of pod learning because where we live in the subdivision, it really took off. And full disclosure, I was kind of ahead of the curve on this because I have enough families that I work with that are in the medical industry that were feeding me information and I'm putting my own mosaic of strategies together. And I'm like, I don't care what the school is telling me. I'm like, I don't see how we're going back. I was able to find somebody through the help of another teacher that was willing to come into a home with three other families, nine kids total. And basically we set up a school and just walking out the door this morning, I saw all these families walking down streets to other houses where they set up their pod virtual learning, if you will, either parent led or if somebody had the means hiring outside help, whether was a teacher who that had gotten laid off or a substitute that got laid off or any sort of combination basically. But just want to get your thoughts on this pod learning concept. I think it's a great, great concept in theory. I don't know how easy it would be for most people practically, because if you've got a small group of kids and you all know each other and you can be comfortable safety wise, but you'd have to get kids that are doing the same thing. Like if you had a third grader and a fourth grader and a fifth grader, and they're all doing different things, how thin is this teacher going to be stretched? So I think as with everything else, this is a terrible answer, but it depends on the situation. If you can find a teacher you can afford or a parent who is willing and able, and you can get a good location and you can get students who are like either in the same class. I know that some high school parents have talked to me about this as well, that they're looking into it. I haven't had a chance to follow up though, so I don't know how much success they've had doing that. But like for high school, it would be, well, we're going to have one pod for AP Lang. And the problem with that is again, back to the high school level, which I'm sorry is where my area of expertise is. They're going to school from eight to two. When are you going to do your pod? They're already stressed out. Again, I think it depends on the circumstances. It can be great under the right circumstances. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things on how the pod that we're in will develop because we cover grades one through five. And there's a bunch that obviously having triplets, I've got a bunch that are in like fourth grade area. It'll be interesting to see. But I think we've already seen some benefits of it. Going back to one thing you pounded the table on, Sandy, which I'm glad you have, is this whole concept of structure. Having our kids wake up as usual, get dressed, brush teeth, all that stuff, and then walk them out the door to a school setting. And we literally set up a school in a basement. So we'll see. Yeah, it's important. And you know, the other thing you could do with pods too, I mean, again, I'm thinking of older kids, is make a study hall pod or a tutoring pod where everybody can just come and help each other even with like, I couldn't help you with trigonometry, but you could get that kind of a group together. But again, it's so based on availability and circumstances. What's interesting in that is that I've actually, now we're going to start pivoting to late high school, early college, is I've actually read where some students at universities throughout the country, even though they're virtual, they're actually going back to the school to get with their friends to create basically their own learning pod. They don't feel like they're on their own wherever they may be living. So I thought that was really fascinating. 
Yeah, and I hope that it works out well. I have two of my dearest friends have daughters going off, one to state and one to uh, Michigan this year. And again, we're going to have to rely on them being safe. And yeah, I mean, and the kids I know are because they're just awesome. But again, there may be kids at this college who still want to have a party and not social distance. Will your child stay away from that or will they be drawn in? It's again... I always say it depends on the kid. I do like the idea, and I'm always asking myself, if my sons were going, how would I feel? I think it's good that they go. This is a time when you're, you're going to college, you're supposed to get out of your parents' house and learn to live on your own. The challenge of COVID there is going to be that they're going to have a smaller friend group. And one of the biggest things you know about going to college is broadening your base of friends. One of the things my son used to complain of when he was a freshman was that he goes, I've got a bunch of friends that just hang around with the same friends from high school. Said, of course, it's better to broaden your friend base, but that's going to be curtailed a little bit. And there's a lot to navigate when you move out. You remember the first time you move out and you're in a whole new place and it's going to be rough. They're going to have to be safe and learn how to function at a higher level and deal with a whole new reality. So it's interesting you just said that, Sandy, because that was you just led into my next question is this whole talk of taking a gap year. Should kids be looking at that? Should parents be considering that? You kind of just answered that. If it was my kids, I would be sending them. So I guess what are your further thoughts on should kids take a gap year knowing that they are not going back to school physically, it would only be online and they're not going to be able to build those networks, which is really the most critical part of college is building those networks and the life skills that go along with it. I look back at my college education, both from an undergrad and a grad student. I learned more after I got out of grad school than I did in my four years of undergrad and my two years of grad school. Just maybe it was because I was so focused on the specific fields I was getting into but a lot of that learning that I experienced was later on, like after the typical college years. Right. So gap year, again, as with everything, it's going to depend on the kid. There are pros and cons to it. If you take a gap year and you get a good job and you're saving up some money for college, that would be good. It might mature some kids up a little bit. Kids who are still in the high school frame of mind, having a job for a year might move them to the right sort of framework in their brain to be able to do well in college. It might help them decide what they want to do. Do I want to go to a college or would I rather go to a trade school? The cons though, if you start making a lot of money, you might decide not to go to college and you're not going to meet those new people and get those networks. And you might be a little lonely because a lot of your friends have gone to college. When you do go, you might be behind your peers a little bit. So they wouldn't be available to help you with whatever classes you might have together or whatever. But I do think it's something that you need to give a great deal of thought to because there are those cons, which I kind of think personally outweigh the pros a little bit. I mean, if it were me, I would probably go. And if it were my sons, I would probably advise them to go. But especially for kids that aren't really ready for college or are going to struggle anyway. I mean, if you've got a kid that got into college by the skin of their teeth and they know they're going to struggle to make C's, adding this on top of that might just be too much of a burden. So again, I would advise parents to sit down with their child, young adult, talk about 
the goals, that kind of thing. But really quickly, I also want to say, because I said something about how they can help figure out what they want to do if they take that gap year, you don't need to know what you're going to do when you start college. You don't need to know what your major is going to be. I've had so many kids like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You just quit panicking and take two years and you'll figure it out. You don't have to declare a major till you're a junior anyway. This is coming from a person, me personally, I changed majors four times. Unfortunately, they had some overlapping characteristics with each other and I was still able to graduate in four years. I had to take a lot of summer classes. But one of the questions that I'm helping parents address from the financial and emotional standpoint is, okay, I want to send my kid, but what I'm struggling with is that I'm still paying a high price tuition bill for, I know, learning that's not as good as if they were there in person. And that's huge. That is huge. And I haven't heard anything about colleges lowering that tuition at all. I don't think there's a chance of that. Yeah. And again, when you sit down with your child or your young adult and you're discussing what to do here, maybe do the first two years at community college. There's a middle ground there to see you know, what you can do. Yeah, because student loans are a thing and parents paying tons and tons of money for a substandard education, which virtual learning by its very nature has to be. I totally get that. Depends on your finances and your willingness to part with your money <laughs> and your kids. And that's where you mentioned throughout our conversation is that it's really kid dependent. No one kid is the same. And it's having these really difficult conversations between you as a parent and your child about, or your kid, a grown adult, about these conversations. And money has to come into play. The financial aspect of this has to come into play. And that's where I've been really talking to my families about the importance of having the conversation and getting it on the table. Just like for families that don't prepare financially to get the kids to college and then they get in the college of their dreams, which I absolutely hate. And now they're sitting here with either a really upset kid or they've just blown up their wealth management plan to try to figure out how to send the kid to a college that they can't afford. Well, I think when you're having those conversations, it's important to stay goal oriented. Son or daughter, what do you want out of life? What is your goal for like the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years? Because community college might be a really good option. I like the idea of kids moving away and learning all those life skills. But as with everything, it's going to be a balance based on financial ability, kids' goals and abilities as well, skill development. So again, I've had twins, which I would have sent one and I would have told the other to take a gap year. You probably get this question all the time, especially with having multiples, is that, well, aren't both kids the same? <laughs> I, get th I get that question. For some people, like other parents of multiples I talk to, that's a trigger that just sets them off like a firecracker on the 4th of July. And people have got to realize, like, just because they're twins, triplets, quads, they're their own unique individual. And that's one thing that we have really strived for our triplets will be 10 here in December is that we treat them as individuals. They make their own decisions. Even like growing up, Teresa rarely ever dressed them in the same outfits just because she didn't want people to have that stereotype of them. And they're all different personalities. They're their own individual person. 
I sometimes wonder how my two sons could actually have the same parents. <laughs> they are yes. so, so night and day different. And it's odd because, you know, you feed them the same food, you take them to the same family gatherings. How do they change and be so incredibly different? But that's so true. And parents need to keep that in mind. I mean, lay people don't probably realize this, but even classes have their own personality. I might have nine honors, third and fifth hour, but they're going to be totally different classes just because of the makeup. And so again, keeping that in mind when you're talking to your kid and not comparing your kids to each other is really, really important and valuing what they have. You might not be good in English, but you're good in math or you're good in band or whatever. Keep that positivity up as much as you possibly can. And that's a hard part is as a parent of multiples or multiple kids. You don't have to have twins or triplets. I mean, you have two or three kids, they're all different, but it's really hard as a parent not to look across the spectrum and compare and make, sometimes make comments. Well, your sister's doing it, doing this well, and, <laughs> yeah. and you're not. And it's that whole nature versus nurture. You all came from the same place. Well, the better question would probably be, you know, like your sister seems to be having an easier time with this. What can I do to help you find this to be a little bit easier and do a little bit? Because kids get down on themselves so much without parent and teacher help. A lot of them really feel a lot of pressure in their social groups from teachers and parents to excel. And sometimes it's like, you know what? A C is the best you can do. That's just fine. Do your best is the most important thing. I think as we talked about this before, there's so much pressure on kids to get the right grades, to be able to get into the right college versus what does the kid really want? What's more important? What's the most important thing for the kid and, and where they want to go and do versus what necessarily the parent wants to go and do? And the problem too is parents don't understand what their kids are going through. I'll give you a quick story as an example. I had a kid years ago in ninth grade honors, which is a really hard class for those kids back in the day when we could really teach them. And she was so stressed out. I mean, she was so stressed out. So I pulled her aside and I said, what's going on? And she says, oh my God, my mom's all over me, blah, blah, blah. So I told her, I said, okay, I want you to go home and I want you to take a bath and light some candles. And she says, oh, my mom will never let me do that. It's wasting time. And I said, tell her it's an assignment. You can write a paragraph for me about it. So the next day, she, and I said, music and candles, the whole thing, 20 minutes minimum. She came in the next day and I asked her about it. And she says, I got five times more stuff done last night than I did all the other times when my mom has been yakking at me. So again, that goes back to taking care of your psyche, take care of your stress level. And I know the parents are balancing so much, but you got to let those kids play video game once in a while. You got to back off a little bit. Don't put too much pressure on them because it can backfire. It's not necessarily going to. Some kids thrive on that kind of pressure. But in some situations, that's going to backfire. Well, I think one valuable lesson that I'm taking away from this conversation from you, which is what you just said, is that I need to back off. I need to chill out a little bit more than I have been. So, And try to make it, and this again, I know this is practically impossible, but if you could make it a joint effort with your kids, and again, yours are quite young, but we're all after the same thing. We're all after you doing as well as you can do in a really crappy situation. And again, it's a balance. Don't back off too much or they're going to run all over you, but try to give them as much say as they can and as much nurturing on all levels as you possibly can. 
Okay. One of the things I wanted to shift back to, but then we'll get to the closing question, is you had mentioned some resources and books and things like that. You also mentioned that you're either in the process of writing a book on some of these topics or you're going to be launching the book. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I haven't even started it yet. I just published a book on creative writing, so I got that one done, and now I'm working on my novel. The creative writing one is called Creative Writing in a Nutshell, which basically condenses everything, and I'm hoping to do one for college writing and one for academic skills down the road. But that being said that I don't have one yet, I'm sure if you went on or to a bookstore or on Amazon, you could find some, or a library. I don't even know if libraries are open right now. I know here in Commerce, at the Commerce Library, you can basically put your order in and then you can go and pick up the books. Okay. So you don't have to spend money on them. You can get them that way and look through the book first if you can to see if it's covering the things that your kids need covering. Like if your kid's unorganized, which manifests itself, being unorganized manifests itself in so many negative ways, but that book doesn't cover organization, then obviously you're going to need another one. So I wouldn't just grab the first one that you see, but there definitely are resources out there. Okay. I have none that I can recommend because I haven't looked at them in many, many years, but doing a little looking around, people should be okay. Okay. And we'll put a link in the show notes to your website. Is that the best way for parents who may be interested in having you as a tutor or interested in having an additional conversation with you about some of the topics that we cover today? Is that the best place for them to go? Absolutely. There's a page that's got a contact form and they can just email me right through that. And then they'll be able to find out everything that they need to know and they can contact me if they so desire. Great. So my closing question, and I've been working on this for a little bit, and I wanted to ask, what is the best thing about being a parent? I find you're in this really unique situation because you're a mom of twins. Mine aren't twins. Yours aren't twins. No. You're a mom. You have two boys. You're a business owner, a former teacher. So you check a lot of the boxes that our listeners are very engaged with. So I'm sure that this closing question would be of interest to most. So you want to know what's the best part of being a parent? Yes. What is the best part about being a parent? It could be anything. The first thing that popped into my mind is the best part about being a parent is the love. And if you have more than one child, then there's love between two people that doesn't even involve you, but that's there because of you. And watching my sons grow up through all the thick and thin and in and out and good and bad and ugly because there's always going to be there watching some turn into men which happened way too fast let me just tell you was fascinating you look back at two years ago i mean look back at pictures of your twins or your triplets two years ago and you'll look at that and you will see how they are growing and changing and realize that that's you you did that you brought this into the world. You're putting these children who will soon be adults way sooner than you want out into the world to do good work and good things and to enjoy life. And that to me is it. The love that's involved in parenting, the love that surrounds families is incredible. That is a fabulous response. And I think a great way to close up our conversation. Sandy, I can't thank you enough for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast today and look forward to keeping in time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast 
or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.